1 John chapter 5. I want to start off by simply saying I am thankful that we have a God that hears and answers our prayers. Last week, this is really a two-parter because last week we saw that God, Jesus, and John, they, they make this incredible promise of granted prayer. And last week we saw how we can be heard when we pray because obviously that's a key to having granted prayer because in order to have our prayers granted, they need to be heard by God, right? When we pray, we want to be heard by the Lord. And uh, one of the main hindrances to the prayers of God's people is sin. That was really what a lot of it boiled down to was just sin. Now, once we get to the place where God tunes into our prayers, it is then that we can pray according to the will of God, as John talks about in our text. And this morning we're going to see another key to granted prayer, which, again, is simply praying according to His will. We'll see today, this morning, what it means to pray according to God's will. We'll see what it does not mean. That's just as important. Uh, we'll also discover the joy in having our prayers granted. Now, look, I said this last week, that this is an incredible promise, the fact that God would hear and grant our prayers. That is something that we should be thankful for. That is something that we should be excited about. And, you know, as Christians, as people in general, we get excited about a lot of things. But I think this is really worth getting excited about. The fact that God, the God that created everything, the God of the universe, the God that knows our hearts and knows our minds, He wants to hear from us and He wants to grant our prayers. That's amazing. So let's look at 1 John chapter 5 and look at verse 14. The Bible says, and this is the confidence, this is the assurance that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Dear God, I thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You for this incredible promise that You've given us. That you will hear and, and, and grant our prayers if we pray according to your will. I pray, God, you help us to believe it. And help us to live our lives accordingly and, and to have a prayer life that, that matches what we believe. I pray, God, you help us to just, uh, just to heed and to, and to hear what your word has to say. Help me to say exactly what you want me to say this morning. And Lord, if there's somebody here that's never trusted you as their personal Savior, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. And that they will no longer put it off, but that they will trust in Christ, and Christ alone, in your holy name, amen. This passage, and what it's saying, can be summed up in this way. Simply this, if we pray according to God's will, and He hears us, we can expect Him to grant our prayers. And we know that this is true, because it says here that we know we have the petitions that we have desired of Him. Think about this for a moment in your mind. What does God own? He owns everything. Did you know that? There's nothing out of His reach. There's nothing beyond His power to give or to do. Psalm chapter 50 verse 10, God said, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. The basic idea of that verse is the simple fact that God owns everything. So with this truth in mind, realize that if you are in Christ... If you're a child of God, then you can know, okay, I'm not a beggar, but instead I am a child with a wealthy father who loves
loves to give his children what they need and what they ask for when they pray according to the will of God. I read a story that was very interesting. Uh, many of you probably have heard of F.B. Meyer. He was, he was a, a great Baptist pastor, and he was also an evangelist in England. And he wrote several books, including some on prayer. And one day while he was uh, crossing the Atlantic on a, on a ship, he was asked to uh, address the first-class passengers. And uh, the captain of the ship requested that he would speak on answered prayer. So there was an agnostic man who was present for the service, and, and one of his friends asked him, he said, what did you think of F.B. Meyer's sermon? And this agnostic man, he answered, he said, I did not believe a word of it. Well, that afternoon, uh, Dr. Meyer went to speak to more passengers, and then uh, many of the listeners that heard his first message, they returned to hear his message again, another message, and uh, including that agnostic man, but his excuse was the fact that he just wanted to go and hear what the babbler had to say. Before starting the service, this agnostic man, he put two oranges in his pocket, and on the way, he saw this very old elderly woman sitting at this desk chair, and she was fast asleep, and the story goes like this, her hands were opened, like this, and in the spirit of fun, the agnostic man put two, those two oranges that he had in his pocket in her, in her hands, so that when she woke up, she would look, and there were, the, there were oranges there. Well, anyway, after the meeting... After F.B. Meyer preached again, this agnostic man saw that lady happily eating one of those pieces of fruit. He approached her and said, hey, I see that you are enjoying that orange. And she smiled and said, yes, sir, my father is very good to me. And he said, your father? Surely your father cannot still be alive because, again, she was old, she was elderly. And she said, praise God, he is very much alive. And the agnostic man said, well, what do you mean? And she explained, I'll tell you how I know that he's still alive. She said, I've been seasick for days, and I was asking God that he would somehow send me an orange. And he said, I guess I, when I was praying, I just fell asleep. And then when I woke up, I found that he didn't just send me one orange. He sent me two. And that agnostic man was speechless. And by the way, later he was converted to Christ. Hey, listen, God can grant our prayers. Even the simple things. God works through prayer as he did with that uh, lady and that agnostic man. Just consider that lady was praying for an orange and she ended up seeing a man come to Christ because of it. But when we pray, as John says, according to God's will, we can expect him to grant our prayers and do great things through it. And as I mentioned last week, according to Jesus Christ, we have a blank check to the bank of God's will through prayer. Let's go to John chapter 14. We're going to look at a lot of verses this morning, so get ready. We'll look in several places. John chapter 14. As you probably know, the writer of John is also the same writer of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But in John chapter 14, and look at verse 13. The words of Jesus. Jesus Christ said this. He said in verse 13, he said, And whatsoever ye shall ask... In my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, no doubt, as, as John wrote what we saw in our text in 1 John chapter 5, he had these words of Jesus Christ in his mind. And here we see Jesus Christ say twice that if we ask anything in his name, he will do it. In our text, John says that if we pray according to his will, then he will grant our prayer. So here is the question. 
Because again, this is a great promise. This is awesome. How do we pray according to the will of God and in the name of Christ as Jesus states? Well, to pray in his name or to pray in Jesus' name does not mean to simply end our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. You know that you could very well pray a prayer that isn't in the name of Christ and end it with that, and it's, it's not right. When Jesus Christ said to pray in my name, he meant this. He, he, said, he was saying, pray in a way that is consistent with who I am. And likewise, when John said to pray according to the will of God, that comes from a Greek word that simply means to pray according to his pleasure. So we are to pray according to the pleasure of God. We are to pray in a way that is consistent with who God is. We are to pray with the intent of glorifying God and bringing honor to Christ. And he specifically says to pray with the intent of glorifying God in the Son, which is Christ. So ask yourself these questions this morning. When you pray, do you pray to please God? When you pray, is the intent of your prayer to glorify God? Or is the purpose of your prayer self-motivated and full of personal ambitions and goals and dreams and self-advancement? There's a lot of people that pray in Jesus' name, and it's not true prayer at all. I've seen many foolish things on the internet. You can find a lot of foolish things on the internet. And I've found many foolish things on the internet where people name and claim things, and they say it is in the name of Christ, thinking that God is going to grant what they've asked for. I'll give you an example. I recently saw a house on Facebook that was brand new. It was newly built. It was beautiful. It was huge. It had a wonderful backyard. It was a beautiful home. It had a nice deck. It even had a pool. Okay, it was awesome. It, it, it was nice. And in today's market, who knows what it would sell for. But underneath that post of this brand new home, one of the most liked comments underneath that post was this. A lady wrote this. She said, Lord, I speak of it, that my family will one day have a house like this. Here's a translation. God, I am asking you for a house like this in your name. Many people believe that if they ask for the nicest house, that God wants them to have it. Many believe if they, if they want a, a Lamborghini or the nicest car or the nicest phone or a million dollars in the bank, then God must want you to have it too. But that's not true prayer. According to Jesus and according to John, true prayer does not involve praying selfishly. Now, can we and should we pray for our needs? Absolutely. We should pray for our needs. Just like that lady with the orange, that was a need. God's very clear about the fact that we should pray for our needs, but true prayer is desiring the will of God. True prayer lines my heart up with the heart of God. My desires are God's desires. I want what He wants. I'm going to pray according to His pleasure, not my pleasure. And if I pray according to God's will, I'm not going to pray for the nicest house. I'm not going to pray for the nicest car or the nicest phone. I'm not going to pray selfishly. However, this is a pattern, and it has long been a pattern for many, but God will not have any of it. True prayer is not trying to get God to do that which he is reluctant to do. Let's go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Look at James chapter 4. Look at verse 3. 
James chapter 4, verse 3. The Bible says, James writes to these people, he says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Now that word amiss there means improperly and wrongly. They asked improperly, they asked uh, for things wrongly. So prior to this, James, he dealt with that problem of no prayer, but now he's addressing the problem of selfish prayer. Now what's interesting about this is that word consume in verse 3 is the same verb that's used to describe the wasteful spending of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. So it's really just uh, destructive uh, desires that just persisted even in prayer. And because of this, their prayers were self-centered, they were self-indulgent, and their selfish prayer is truly wasteful. Hey, listen, if you're praying selfishly this morning, you're praying wastefully. You're wasting your prayers. Now these people in James chapter 4 when they did pray, when they did ask, they asked God for things purely out of a selfish motive. Again, it wasn't for their needs. It was not uh, any concern of God's will. Their hearts were not lined up with God's desires. They just prayed selfishly. But here's the thing. Look, if my heart is in tune with God, I will pray according to his will. And I can, I can know, okay, he hears my prayers and I can expect him to grant my prayers. But at times when we pray, we may not know what God's will is concerning specific, specific situations and sometimes the only thing that we can pray is just simply not my will, but thine be done. I don't know what my will is, God. I need your help. Uh, we can pray for wisdom. But we do know that there are some things that are God's will. And because of this, we can pray according to God's will specifically. So consider this morning. How do I pray according to the will of God? In order to understand this, we need to know what the will of God is. So as we... Look at this this morning. We're going to see a contrast between how to pray according to God's will and how to not pray according to God's will. We'll see how to pray according to His pleasure instead of according to our own pleasure. Now, here's the thing. God's will is all through the Bible. We, we talked about this a lot in Sunday school. Paul kind of mentioned it this morning. But God's word contains God's will. You don't have to, to wonder, what is God's will for my life? It's in the Bible. It's there. So we're going to look at that. A few ways how we can pray correctly according to the will of God. And I want you to know this list is not really extensive, but it's relevant for our day. So first, to pray for God's will is to pray for me to endure suffering. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to go to a couple places here right off, so again, get ready. But first, for me to pray according to God's will is to pray for me to endure suffering. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. It says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Wow, listen, what is this saying? You know what this is saying, church? Listen. At times, it is God's will for you to suffer. That's not very popular, is it? You don't get a lot of amens when you say that, because we don't like suffering. But sometimes, it's God's will for us to suffer. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Look at verse 38. 
Matthew chapter 26, start with verse 38. This is Jesus here as he prepares to go to the cross. The Bible says in Matthew 26, 38, it says, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me? One hour, watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. You know, so often when we suffer in any way, shape, or form, the first thing that we do is pray. That's, that's a normal response for a believer is to pray. But typically when we pray about our suffering, what do we do? We pray that God will take away our suffering. Now, I want you to know that's not wrong per se. We know that uh, Paul asked three times that God would take away his thorn in the flesh. But guess what? God said no. Why did he say no? Because it was his will for Paul to suffer. So then it was up to Paul to endure the suffering by the grace of God because he was not going to take it away. Well, in the passage that we just read in Matthew 26, Jesus was getting ready to suffer a terrible death on the cross. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the stripes that would be put on his back. He knew that a crown of thorns that was going to be crushed on his head. And he knew that he would be beaten. He knew that his beard was going to get ripped out. He knew that he was going to be unrecognizable. And he knew that he was going to be put to death for mankind's sin. And this is why he agonized over it. This is why Matthew 26, 38 says that he was exceeding sorrowful. So because he was God, he knew what was going to happen. And because he was man, he knew it was going to be very painful and it was going to be very difficult to endure. So in this time of sorrow, Jesus offers up a prayer. And he prayed to God, he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, don't make me have to do this. If it's possible, allow me to forego this pain. Allow me to forego the suffering and the death that I'm facing. But then twice... He speaks of the importance of God's will over his own desire. He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And then he said, oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. He expressed the fact that if it's God's will for him to suffer this brutal death, so be it. So be it. Now, this prayer as Jesus was preparing to suffer, it's such a far cry from what we often pray when we're experiencing some sort of suffering. When we have times of trials, we don't know what to do. We have times where we, we don't know how to get through this trial or, or, or an issue. We have a trying time of our faith. We have a problem or something that's not just not going away. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you're experiencing it right now. We so often we beg God to just allow it to pass. God, just take away the pain. And so often when we go through a trial and a time of suffering, we ask God, we say, let this cup pass from me. But so few people will pray, nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. So few of us do that. But to pray in this manner when we suffer is to pray according to the will of God. Because again, it may be God's will for you to suffer. Now you might say, well, why? Well, it may be for a reason that you don't understand in this life. 
But there is a reason. Think of Job. We know that Job is a book about a man that suffered greatly. But you know, the Bible never tells us that Job understood why he suffered. But he suffered, didn't he? The book of Job, though it was not written in order to show us how wonderful Job was, it was written to show us what a great God we have. It was God that sustained Job through his suffering. It was God that allowed it. It was in God's sovereign plan. So if you're going through a time of suffering, consider this. Have you been praying for God to sustain you and help you endure through it? It may not be God's will for you to get out of it. Like Paul, it may be God's will for you to stay in it. For this cause, when we pray in regards to our suffering, like Jesus, we should say, Nevertheless, not thy will, but thine be done. But just as Job and his suffering was meant to bring glory to God, understand that your suffering is able to bring glory to God because it makes us more like Christ. If we pray according to his will and according to his pleasure so that we can glorify Christ, at times enduring suffering is included in that. Let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, look at verse 2. It says, in James chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Hey, the fact of the matter is, in your life, trials are going to happen. And James writes, when, not if, but when we have temptations, when we have trials, to count it all joy. Why? Because the trying of our faith works patience. And as this passage says, we need to allow patience to have her perfect work so we can be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So the purpose of trials and tribulations is to cause us to be more like Christ. And the purpose of trials and temptations is also to bring honor and glory to God. Listen, if you're going through a trial right now, you need to ask God for, one th for two things. For one, to be glorified in it, but secondly, to teach you. Teach me, God. I'm going through this time of suffering. I'm going through this trial. Teach me. Most of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon. He's a famous preacher. He was a man that actually endured many trials because he actually survived. Uh, he, he suffered from very, very severe depression. Some people don't know that, but, but he was depressed a lot of the times. But this is what he said about suffering. He said, I've looked back to times of trial with a kind of longing, not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I have felt it then, to feel the power of faith as I have felt it then, to hang upon the powerful arm of God as I have hung upon it then, and to see God at work as I saw him then. Look, if you're going through suffering, God may want to keep you there. I know that doesn't make everybody want, excited and want to jump up and down, but that's what the Bible tells us. That's what God says. So if so, ask God to be glorified in your suffering. Ask God to help you show others the love and kindness of God through the trial. Ask Him to help you lean on Him and find your strength in Him so that you can testify of His greatness to others despite your suffering. One verse that a lot of people like to throw around is Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. A lot of times we think that means, oh, that means that my life is going to be awesome here on earth. That's not what that verse is saying. Sometimes God's purpose is suffering. 
And sometimes that which works together for good involves suffering. As that next verse, Romans 8.29 says that God did predestinate us to be conformed to the image of His Son. And sometimes it takes suffering to do that. So at times, suffering may be God's will. So when it is, pray that God will help you endure and be glorified in it. But secondly, to pray for God's will is for me to pray to be spirit-filled. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 17. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Hey, it is God's will for you to be Spirit-filled. Included in that, we know that it says it's the will of God, but, you know, every single day, this should be our prayer. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Allow me to be guided and transformed and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because, and, and here's the thing, walking in the Spirit is something that takes effort. It takes uh, prayer, and when you place your faith and trust in Christ, at that very moment, God gave you the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do anything else. If you've trusted in Christ and you've become his child, he has given you the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God, it encourages you, it enables you to obey God's word from within. Now listen, church. One person put it this way. The Holy Spirit is not like a drill sergeant that forces you to obey, but rather a coach that encourages you to obey. He comes alongside of you. He helps you do what's right. And listen, when you read the Bible, when uh, you pray, God will speak to you and His Spirit will encourage you to obey. And look, just like if you had a coach in high school, uh, if you're in high school and you play sports, you must engage your will. You have to make an effort to obey the coach and do what the coach says. If you don't make that effort to obey God's Word, then you're not going to be walking in the Spirit. You must make the effort to obey and make the effort to pray because it is God's will. So it's God's will for you to walk in the Spirit so that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Is this your prayer? Do you pray, God, fill me with your Spirit? A lot of Christians, man, they, they, they literally ask God to fill their life with many things. Instead of asking God to fill... Then with the Spirit, they often ask Him to fill their bank accounts, fill my life with happiness, fill my yard with toys, fill my uh, this, fill that. They don't want the Holy Spirit, though. They don't want the filling of the Holy Spirit. But again, to pray in a manner that's asking God for things is to pray selfishly. And we should pray that God will fill us with His Holy Spirit because that is praying according to His will. Thirdly, to pray according to God's will is to pray for my sanctification. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, look at verse 3. And by the way, these do run together. If you're walking in the Spirit, you will live a sanctified life. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. The Bible says, For this is the will of God. Let me just stop there. Again, the Bible has God's will all through it. So anybody that's clueless about God's will, just read the Bible. 
Look again, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. The word sanctification here comes from a Greek word that just refers to the process of becoming holy. And this process involves dedicating yourself to serving God by loving Him and loving others. And as a result, it just results in moral purity. So the context of this is is referring to abstaining from fornication, but the overall thought is our general sanctification and our general holiness. And look, this is not something that gets talked about a lot. Many are deceived in thinking, again, it's God's will for me to get whatever I want. But no, it's God's will for you to be conformed in the image of Christ. Some people think, well, it's, you know, it's God's will for me to get everything I want. But no, God, it's his will for you to live pure. He's not interested in you having the time of your life and just doing whatever you want. He's interested in you obeying his commandments and fulfilling your purpose for your life. It's his will. Again, they all run together. And I'll say this, it's not God's will for you to have whatever you want. In fact, it's God's will for you to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and follow him. Again, this is not popular, but it's Bible truth. So to pray for our sanctification and to pray for holy living, it is to pray according to the will of God, and it brings honor and glory to his name because a changed life will glorify God. A changed life and a holy life will glorify God through the Son. So because this is the will of God, we can pray for this to happen, and we can expect God to grant it. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. And lastly, and truly one of the most important, to pray according to the will of God is to pray for the salvation of the lost. Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and look at verse 4. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, speaking of God, well, let's just look at verse 3. It says in verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. This is probably one of the most important things that we can pray for when it comes to the will of God. We should be praying for the salvation of the lost. Corporately as a church, we should be praying that our community would come to know Christ. And listen, don't say that it can't happen because it can happen. God can save souls. God can use our church to see the lost come to know Him. And we know this because it is the will of God for lost sinners to be saved. Now individually, if you're here this morning and you're in Christ, you've trusted in Him, you know that you have somebody in your mind probably right now that you've been praying for them to come to know Christ. You, you, you are begging God that he would uh, get them to trust in him. You're asking God to take off the blinders and to help them see the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we can pray for our loved ones to come to know Christ and we can expect him to grant it. Listen, this is just a mind-blowing truth. It's hard to wrap my mind around it. But to pray for the salvation of the lost is to pray according to God's will because it is God's will for all men to be saved. Everybody here, maybe not everybody, but most people here probably know of George Mueller. He is one of the greatest examples of believers, a believer that that knew the power of prayer and he prayed accordingly. Remember George Mueller 
he was in charge of several orphanages, and at times, he, we, I've talked about this before, how he would sit down at the table, and he would pray for the food that wasn't there. And he would say, okay, kids, we're going to go ahead and sit down. We're going to pray for God to bless the food. The table was empty, and then all of a sudden, while they were praying, he'd hear a knock at the door. And it was the bread man. God woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and told me to bake bread for you. And then you'd also hear another knock at the door after that. It was a milkman. Cart broke down. I need to get rid of this milk. Do you want it? God answers prayer. But Mueller himself, he interceded for more than half a century for the salvation of a small group of men. He wrote this in November of 1844. He said, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals, and I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether I was in, si- whether I was in sickness or in health, on land or on sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagement might be, I prayed. Now listen, some of you are here, and you have not received an answer to prayer in regards to somebody coming to know Christ. You need to listen to this. This might encourage you, and this might help you. This is what he wrote. He said, eight, he said 18 months went by before the first of five was converted. I thanked God and I prayed for the others. Five years went by, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remain unconverted, as he's writing this. He said, the man to whom God, in the riches of his grace, has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the selfsame hour or in the selfsame day in which they were offered, has been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these individuals, yet they remain unconverted. But I hope in God, I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. Hey, listen, they will be. These two men... They remained unconverted until George Mueller died in 1998, and he prayed for their salvation for 52 years. But one of those men, they came to know Christ a few years after he died, and then the other one trusted in Christ at his funeral. 52 years of prayer, and God answered. You know what? Some of us get in despair after a year of praying. George Mueller prayed for 52 years before, and he didn't even see it, but he's rejoicing in heaven for sure. Hey, listen, God can do that today. The same God that did that for George Mueller is the same God that you serve today. The same God that saved Saul, a persecutor of Christians, is the same God that we pray to today. The same God that saved the Ninevites when Jonah preached his eight-word sermon is the exact same God that we pray to today. But here's the question. Listen, do you believe God? And by the way, I thank God for Carl. He's here this morning. God did that for Carl. Years of praying, and God saved him. God's done that for Kaylee. I don't know where she is. Every Wednesday night, when I pray with Dan, Dan prays for Kaylee. Lord, help her to see. Help her to be saved. Hey, listen, God answers prayer. Many have not experienced answered prayer, even when they do pray according to the will of God, because they just give up. So with that in mind, consider this. Are you praying for the salvation of those that you love, and are you doing so continuously? We need to come to a place where we choose to believe what the Bible says. Do you believe that if you pray according to the will of God, that he will hear and grant our prayers? 
to pray for the salvation of soul, again, is to pray for, for God to be glorified in Christ, to pray for the salvation of a sinner, is to pray according to the pleasure of God. So do we believe that God can, and do we believe that God will? Do we pray according to the will of God? Do we pray that God would just help us endure suffering so that he can be glorified in it? Do we pray daily to walk in the Spirit so that we can glorify the Father in the Son? Do we pray daily to live sanctified and holy lives that are set apart for the Master's use so that we can glorify Him? And ask yourself this, do you pray at all? I have no doubt in my mind there are people in this room, you don't pray at all. And you wonder why God's not doing anything in your life. You need to start praying. We need to pray daily, continuously, fervently, and never giving up and believing that God can. We have the assurance of heard and granted prayer that if we pray according to his will, he says again, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So what do you need to start praying for today? Let's pray according to the will of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.